0: You are listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, When the Nations Rage, based on Psalm 2. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. Uh, I want to go ahead, we're going to look, as Kevin mentioned, we are in the book of Psalms. And so today, I want to look at Psalm 2 together. The interesting thing about Psalm two is is that you know some people think ah the Bible it's two thousand years old it doesn't really speak to what's going on today and you know these kind of it's it's an ancient book and it doesn't it doesn't answer the questions that we have that we face in our world today. Well, I think Psalm. Two is truth is, is proof that that is not true, that the Bible is very relevant for today. In fact, today, as we find ourselves in the midst of what has been a very interesting election season, to say the least, and if you kind of step back and think about it, this has been going on for over a year now. We've been, we've been going through this election season. And um, you know, there's a lot that appears to be at stake. I think Christians in particular are a bit anxious during this time, and, and for good reason. I think Christians have been beat up a lot over the last few years, and there have been a lot of cultural wars that we've fought in and lost, and, and I think a lot of us are just kind of, just sort of shaking our heads going, well, where do we go from here? What happens now? What's, where, where is all of this leading us? And so there, there certainly is a lot at stake, and I think a lot of people are feeling anxious. Some people are feeling angry. Some people don't, don't seem to, to care at all, one way or the other, but there's, there's a lot of conversation happening, and I want to I talk particularly among Christians. I mean, certainly there's a lot going on in our nation as a whole, and there's much more going on in our world as a whole, but among Christians there's a lot of conversation happening right now. There's a lot of debate, and there's, there's this this wrestling with how do we respond to the changes that have happened in our culture and how do we move forward from here? Well, I've been praying uh, throughout this process that God would, would give us leaders in the church who would help us discern, who would, who would speak with wisdom, who would lead us uh, through these difficult and, and anxious times uh, with great wisdom, wisdom that comes from the Lord. And you know, and I see those voices I see those voices arising. I see men and women who are speaking with wisdom. And I see, I see a lot of good things happening in the church. But you know, we need somewhere to set our feet down that is safe. We need a secure foundation that we can stand on, that we know isn't going to move during times like this. Psalm 2, I think, is that secure foundation. I think Psalm 2 gives us a lot of things to think about when we go through anxious seasons of the world, such as the one that we're in now, to sort of rise above the storm that's happening. You know, if you've ever flown uh, in a plane during a storm... Or if you've ever taken off in the storm, you know the pilot will often come on and say, we're going to go ahead and, and fly a little bit higher to get us past this storm, if that's possible. And so you get up above that storm, and all of a sudden what, what was, was very tumultuous is very calm and peaceful. And I think Psalm 2 helps us sort of rise above the storm and see what God is doing when our world around us seems to be shaking. So let's look together at Psalm 2. If you have a Bible, please open. This will also be on the screen behind me, and I would love to read this together uh, from Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, Our text today, here's what I want to do Uh, real simply. I want to make some observations and then talk about application. And so you'll see on your message application points, if you have that out, if not, go ahead and get it out now. There are, are four observations I want to make, one main observation, and then we're going to look at four ways that God responds to the first point. So the first thing on your map there is this, people have always plotted against the Lord and his people people have always plotted against the Lord and his people. This is nothing new. This was true 3,000 years ago when the psalm was written. It was true at the time of Jesus. It's it's true today. And you don't have to be a Christian for very long until you find out that people tend to plot against the Lord and his people. When I became a Christian as a teenager, some of my friends didn't know what to do. Some of them were cool, but some of them kind of kind of freaked out that I had 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 given my life to the Lord and that I was changing and and living different. But a couple of my friends in particular responded in interesting ways. One of my friends said to me one time, he says, so you worship God now, huh? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I worship Satan. (laughs) I was like, well, that sounds fun. Cool. (laughs) You know, where do you go from there? All right. That's great. Um, we're still friends, you know, and another one of my friends, uh, when when he heard I was preparing to go into ministry, he's like, so you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I I feel like that's what God's calling me to do. He's like, well, my pastor's Pastor Mary Jane. And I was like, all right, that's, that sounds like some exciting worship services you guys are having. And so people, people always are against the Lord. That's nothing new. Of course, that was, that was minor compared to the type of persecution that many Christians face. In fact, I wouldn't even call that persecution. I would just call that humans responding to something interesting that happened in their lives. But let's look at Psalm 2. What does it say? It says in verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against The Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Every Christian at some point in time experiences this reality that people always plot against the Lord and his people. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going against the grain in your culture. You're swimming upstream, and you're going to, you're going to find out at one point or another that people are generally against that. Now, I guess it, it depends on the folks that you're surrounded with, but sooner or later you will experience that people have always plotted against the Lord and against His people. In fact, when I was, when I was a young Christian, and this kind of helped me process those responses that some of my friends were giving me, I read, I read some very interesting books. One was called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've never read it, it details um, very pointedly how some of those very early Christians in the first and second centuries gave up their lives in horrible, horrible ways for the gospel. And then I read a more modern book called Jesus Freaks, which talks about people who in, in our day and age today who have died sometimes horrible deaths because they took a stand for the gospel. And then I looked at you know, what was happening to me and I thought, this isn't persecution. This is nothing really. There, there have always been and always will be Christians who give their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Most recently, we see ISIS Week in and week out, taking Christians out and publicly murdering them in horrible ways. This is nothing new. Jesus said to expect this, and and in fact, you know, it's just the reality that we live in a world where where men fight and wage war against each other, and men fight and wage war against the Lord and against His people. Jesus, when He was sending out His twelve disciples, warned them. He said this in Matthew ten. And you will be hated by all for my sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then also in John 15, he said to his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And that's true. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you on some level, Christians need to become comfortable with this idea that our world just sort of hates us now. You know, for a while, I think, I think American, you know, Christian Americans had a unique place in history where we were just sort of welcomed in an unusual way. But, but the, in, in the history of Christianity, Christians have been hated and persecuted and murdered. And so as we see our culture sort of turn on us, and turn on this whole concept of a God who says what is right and wrong, and of a people who say they, they claim to know what God says is right and wrong. And as people seem to, to really despise that type of ideology, we need to remember that this is nothing new. People have always plotted against the Lord and his people. But there's, there's really good news in this. The good news is, in, in this is the rest of Psalm 2 because. Just as God had a response 3,000 years ago, He has a similar response today. And I, I see in Psalm 2 four ways that God responds to this plotting against Him and against His people. And so the rest of our time together, I want to look at God's four responses to this. Number one, He laughs at such plans. I love this. I love this because it puts into perspective what is really going on. He laughs at such plans. It shows that God, without any doubt, is not threatened by human plans. You know, it's never good when you pick a fight with somebody and they laugh at you. I have an older brother. He's about two years older than me. We're, we were close enough in, in age and in size growing up that I, I often thought that I could win a fight with him. I never did. <laughs> we, fought, we must have fought two, three times a day for years, and I never once won any of those fights. But I always thought that I could. I always thought, "This man, this is going to be my time. This is, this, is my, this is the one I'm going to win. And usually that would happen after, after watching like a John claude Van Damme movie or something. You know, you, you watch Bloodsport and you get all pumped up and you're like, I can do this. And, and he'd see my energy building and, and, and he, would, he, would say, he would say to me sometimes, why do you want to do this to yourself? And, and he would just laugh at me. And, and, and that's never good. You never want to get into a fight with somebody who's just laughing at you. And so, you know, this, uh, this election, it's about fear. And th- this election is about fear in the sense that each candidate wants you to know what you should be afraid of. Each candidate wants you to be afraid to not vote for them. And so they're playing on our fears. And I think most elections are like this. They, they take our fears and, and they say, this is why you should vote for me, because you should be afraid of what the other candidate is going to do. But you know who's never afraid during elections? God. He's not intimidated. He has no no anxiety over this. He has no fear. He is in control. He laughs at such plans. It says in Psalm 2, verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That's good news for us. That's good news for us because he's confident. He's got this thing under control. He's not intimidated. He's not afraid of where this is going. He knows that he is in control. And so he laughs. When I was a kid, we had this, this sidewalk in front of my house, and you know those seams in the concrete uh, where like weeds would grow and stuff? Well, for some reason, ants would always build anthills in those, in those seams in my sidewalk. And so me, as a, as a little kid, you know, you see these ants, and they build these, these fantastic hills, and they put all of this, this effort and all this, uh, you know, not cognitive planning, but in a sense planning into building this, this, this ant hill, and this is it for them. This was their plan, and, and here they've got this hill now, and they're ready to do their thing. And then, you know, five-year-old Freddie comes along no t-shirt on, dirt on my face, a grilled cheese in this hand, and a popsicle in this hand, no shoes, and in a matter of about a half a second, I would just go, boop, and destroy their anthill. I mean, to those ants, it was like, I must have seemed like some kind of God to them. i just come along, and everything that they had plotted, and everything that they had planned, and everything that they had worked for, in, in a fraction of a second, was gone. God destroys the plans man has made just as easily. It is no effort to him to stop man in his tracks and erase his plans. And so when the people of this world plan and plot against him, he laughs. He has nothing to be afraid of. He's not worried at all. That's, That's not to say that such plans are of no concern to him. Unlike my relationship to those ants, because I'd do that to those ants and I'd just, that was it. I, I, that wasn't even part of my day. I didn't plan to do that. I didn't talk about it later. I just did it as I was going. But unlike my relationship to those ants, God does care. So it's not, it's not to say that, that these plans are of no concern to him. Our lives and the, the things that happen in this world are, are of great concern to God. And that should comfort us. It's not that he doesn't care who wins the election. It's not that he doesn't care what direction the country or the world goes in. He cares deeply. He just has such confidence in in his own ability to to change or to destroy the plans of man that he's not afraid at at all. In fact, he laughs when men make such plans. Verse 5, which we're going to read next confirms for us that God does care. And so what is the next thing that God does in response to those who plot against Him? Number two, He declares His sovereign rule in Jesus. He declares His sovereign rule in Jesus. Look at what it says in verses 5 and 6. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for Me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It's not that God doesn't care. He cares deeply. He cares more than we care. He cares more than we could care. It's that he already has established his sovereign rule. And he declares his sovereign rule in Jesus. You see, God has set his king on the throne this is a common theme in psalms. If we look at a couple of other psalms, Psalm 103 verse 19 says this, The Lord has established His throne where? In the heavens. And His kingdom rules over all. Psalm 47, 6-8, through eight, it says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King! Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Then in the New Testament, it becomes clear that Jesus is the king that God has placed on the throne. And so in the Old Testament, this was still a mystery to them, but they knew that God had his king on the throne. In the New Testament, it's revealed to us that that king is Jesus. We see him first in the New Testament as the king of the Jews. That's why at his birth, the wise men come to Herod and they ask him this question, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? And then then later on, Matthew would say, when Jesus came into Jerusalem at, at approximately 33 years of age, riding on a donkey, Matthew said he was fulfilling this prophecy, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. And so we know in the New Testament that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but Jesus does something very interesting. He keeps hinting that he's the king of something much greater than the nation of Israel, that he's more than the king of the Jews. He's hinting constantly at a kingdom that goes beyond that. And he speaks of his kingdom in ways that that confuses the Jews. And that's because this king was not meant to be just the king of the Jews but he was meant to be the king who sits on this throne in heaven and rules over all the nations and all of creation. In Acts 4, the early Christians quote Psalm 2, our psalm today, as being fulfilled in Jesus. They would look back after Jesus' death and resurrection and say, remember Psalm 2? When God said, 'I I have set my king on my holy hill, Mount Zion? That was Jesus. That's the king that God was talking about in the Old Testament. And so they quote Psalm 2 and say this is fulfilled in Jesus. Paul would later say, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has set his king on the throne. And you don't need to vote for him. You don't don't need to fund his campaign. He's He's already won. It's already established who the king is. It's already been established who rules over the nations. And it is none other than Jesus. He was in charge before the foundations of this world were laid. He was in charge before time began, and he will be on that throne forever. Nothing men do can take him off that throne. There's literally nothing that could happen in our world that would threaten his rule. Nothing. He, God, has declared his sovereign rule in Jesus, and he will rule forever. Yet the nations rage and conspire against him and against his people. Well, that might make you wonder, if, if God has set Jesus on the throne, why is this world such a mess? If Jesus is ruling over the nations, why are the nations so messed up? I think that's a legitimate question. Unfortunately, it's, it's a question that, that God anticipates. It's a question I think he provides the answer for in the next couple of verses of our text. So let's look together at Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. It says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The answer to why the world is such a mess today is that this is simply an issue of timing. The Son says, this is what the Lord said to me. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so other words, when the Son asks The Father will give the nations to Him to judge them. But we are in this in-between time. What we call the already, but not yet. Jesus already sits on the throne, but there's a greater fulfillment of that still, still to come where He will come and He will in righteousness judge the nations and establish His kingdom perfectly on the earth. So number three is this. He promises His people that He will bring justice. He promises His people that He will bring justice. Jesus will bring justice when He returns. He will destroy His enemies and the enemies of His people, including sin and death and all who have aligned themselves against Him. His judgment will be strong, it will be thorough, and it will be final. Verse 9 says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is going to happen. God responds to this conspiring of the nations against Him by reminding His people that He will one day bring justice. And the outcry for justice on the earth will finally be satisfied. The rebellion against Him will be replaced with peace. Injustice. And so when we get fed up with all of the injustice around us, when we're overwhelmed by the rate at which our world is turning against us and against our God, remember that Jesus is coming to bring justice. We will see the fulfillment of this. We will be witnesses to this. And man, is there a lot of injustice in this world. couple weeks ago, a man walked into uh, an assisted living facility in Japan for adults with disabilities. And he murdered 19 adults with disabilities, and he injured 26 more. And the world hardly even noticed. But you know who did notice? King Jesus. He saw it. and he will bring justice. Our world offers no justice for such things. I don't, I don't know what the justice systems like in Japan. If it's anything like in the U.S., this guy would be put in a, in a mental hospital and live out the rest of his days. That's not justice. When Jesus returns, he will bring that man to justice and everyone else who has aligned themselves against him And if that man has died before Jesus returns, Jesus will resurrect him from the dead and cast him into eternal fire. That's justice. King Jesus is coming, and when he comes, he will bring with him justice. In our world, it's the strong versus the weak. In our world, it's injustice after injustice. But when King Jesus returns, it will be justice. Listen to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. These are the words of the Apostle John. He said, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a leader, just one leader that we could call Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. In righteousness He does it. In righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And that's John's way of saying Jesus. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. And He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus on this white throne. With fire in his eyes and a sword coming from his mouth, and the armies of heaven behind him, each of them on white horses coming to bring justice through judgment on the earth. That is what God promises us. It's so difficult to look around and see so much going wrong and so many people being hurt but it's comforting to know there comes a day when Christ will make everything right. A day is coming when all earthly leaders will be replaced by this one king, King Jesus, and that will be a great kingdom to live in. It's like those those famous last words spoken by many moms when they're overwhelmed with the misbehavior of their children. You wait till your father gets home. (laughs) It's like that, but the difference is he's, he's in control now. Don't be misled by what I'm saying. The world is not spinning out of His control and someday He's going to come back and put all the pieces together. He's in control now. In a sense, Daddy's already home and He's, he's, he's in control and he's, he's ruling over the nations now, but in an even greater way, there's coming a day when Jesus will come and bring justice to the earth. Additionally, we should remember that our waiting is not passive. In other words, Christians, we don't, just, we don't just hide and wait until he comes. Our waiting is not passive. We have work to do. You might recall before Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and preach the gospel to them. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, "My Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's coming and you will receive power to be my witnesses. For, for such a time as this, God has given his Holy Spirit so that, we could be, so that we could be empowered to be his witnesses. And so that takes me to the fourth and final point I want to make. How does God respond to this plotting against him and his people? Number four, he invites more people to come and join him. He invites more people to come and join him. Listen to what it says in verse 10. and listen closely to this, because this is where it gets good. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. What is this that we just read? Think about this psalm as a whole, because here's what just happened. In the end of this psalm, this king invites those who at the beginning of the psalm were plotting against him. He says to the very kings and rulers and people who stood against him and against his anointed and against his people, he says to them, Come, take refuge. In me. How many kings do you know who would approach the rebels in their kingdom? How many kings do you know who would go to the very men and women who have rebelled against him, who have committed the, the, the worst crimes that could be committed in the kingdom, and before he judges them, says, I want to make you an offer? My life instead of yours. How many kings do you know that before he assembles his army and goes out to destroy his enemies, first goes to them in street clothes and says, look, my army's getting ready. And if you don't listen to what I have to say right now, I'm going to go and get them and we're coming for you. But before I do that, I want to offer my life in your place. What you have done cannot be forgiven any other way. What you have done deserves death. And I'm a good king and this will be a good kingdom and so I will punish these crimes that you have committed with death. But I will gladly take your place if you'll let me. How many kings do you know that would do this? Just one. King Jesus. That's exactly what He did. He he made a way for His enemies to have peace with Him. He made a way for those who rebelled against Him. He made a way for those who were plotting against Him. He made a way for those who hate Him and despise Him and want nothing to do with Him. He made a way for them to have peace with Him. And so it says at the end of this psalm, these beautiful words, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. But he's not waiting forever. The time will come. And the opportunity to come to him in peace will have expired. And many will not have come. And so we fall into two categories today. First of all, there's those of us who need to come to him and receive his mercy. Second of all, there's those of us who have already done that. And our job is to invite others. Because that's what he does. He invites others to come and join him. So to to those of you, you know, those of you in that first category, I want you to listen to again to the the words of Psalm two. In other words, those of you who, who have not yet received his mercy, who are not yet taking refuge in him, listen to what he says. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. He says to you, be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, which is to pay homage to Him, to honor Him as the rightful King, because blessed are all who take refuge in Him. When a king and his army come, To squash a rebellion or to to conquer a place, people generally do one of two things. One, they stand up and fight. In this case, those people all die. No one will stand against King Jesus when he comes. So one, they stand up and fight. Those folks die. Or two, they seek a safe place to hide. I've seen you've seen movies, I've seen movies where, where this is playing out. There's there's people coming and they're gonna kill everybody there, and so, so some people they run and they hide and they look for a, a safe place to, to hide from the army that's coming, and they usually hide in some room with, with like a, a door that's barely secured and you have to sit there in suspense and wonder, is that door going to hold? Are they really going to be safe in there? Or is that door going to come crashing down and they're going to face the same fate as those who stood up and fought? Jesus says, come hide in me. And let me tell you, that door doesn't break down. That door always holds. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You can come and hide in Him and there you will be safe because the only way to escape the wrath of the king is to hide in the king himself, to come to him on his terms, his offering of peace, to receive his mercy and the the grace that he offers to you. And so today, if you need to heed his words and you need to come and take refuge in him, I invite you to come. This king... Is the only king you will ever meet whom you can rebel against and sin against and deserve his wrath, and yet he still says, I'll die for you. Now, Christians, those of you in the second category, let me say a couple of words to you. Be encouraged. I know it's anxious times. I know there's a lot going on. And I know there's a lot of things that might seem confusing. There there are things that we're not sure how we're supposed to respond to this, but I want you to be encouraged. The nations rage and the men of this earth make plans and they plot against him. But he who sits in heaven laughs and he declares his sovereign rule in Jesus. And one day that Jesus will come back and he will bring justice to this earth. And so let's do what he says to do. Let's go invite more people to come and take refuge in him. Let's say to the world, come and hide in him. Come receive the grace and mercy of our Lord who died in your place so that you could be safe in him. I want to read to you one more time Acts 1.8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit lives in you, Christian, and He lives in you to empower you to be witnesses for such a time as this. To stand up in the midst of all of this chaos going, around, going on around us and point people to Jesus and to tell the gospel, and to invite others to come and join us in His kingdom. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.